0: Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be It Works How and Why Study and Commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and in context of the material within our book, It Works How and Why. All right, folks, this is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there are going to be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the text toward reaching those seeking a resource like this. We know if one person benefits from our efforts, we collectively believe, even including us, then our participation was well worth the effort. We're going to start off with our introduction, and then we're going to jump into the text, and get a pen, a highlighter, and get ready to go. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the It Works, how and why I study for the Anonymous podcast. This is episode two. We're going to begin on page eight with as we start but first we're going to give our introductions eva what's happening
1: hey everybody eva p here my clean date is june tenth, 2000 i am uh, coming to you from salem oregon the mid willamette valley area and my home group is the do it hardest meeting
2: thanks eva what's up lee hey douglas hey everyone lee p addict uh Clean date eight twenty seven eighty seven. I go to meetings in New Orleans. My home group is the Open Mind Hybrid Meeting Monday night seven thirty. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Jane?
3: Oh, Jane A here. Thank you, Douglas. Coming from Salem, Oregon. Clean date is twelve twenty two seventy nine. And my
4: home group is the Noon Basic Study Group.
0: Thanks, Jane. What's up, Christine?
4: Hey, Doug. Hey, everybody. Um, this is Christine O, and my clean date is March 31st, 1994, and I attend meetings in the Virginia Beach and Tidewater areas in Virginia.
0: Thanks, Christine. What's up, Barb, a.k.a. Street Barb?
5: <laughs> hey, Douglas. I'm Barb R. i am Barbar. I stay in the panhandle of Florida. My clean date is 10-4-95, and my home group is um, Open Mind as well.
0: Thanks, Bob. What's up, Lisa?
6: Hey, I'm Lisa H. I'm an addict. My clean date is February 25th, 2012. My home group is Monday Night Miracles in Meadville, PA, and I attend meetings in the Central Western PA area.
0: Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Donna?
6: Hey, everyone. This is Donna P. from Eugene, Oregon.
7: Uh, I celebrate my clean date on Thanksgiving. The first one was 1985. And uh, my home group solutions for living 6 p.m. here in Eugene. I attend meetings in Lane County area. Come see us sometime. Thanks, Donald. What's up, Eric?
8: Hey, I'm an addict. My name's Eric. My clean date is September 16th, 2019. My home group is Friday Night Clean in Bradenton, Florida.
0: Thanks, Eric. What's happening, Andrew?
9: What's up, y'all? My name is Andrew G. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is May 16th, 2008. My home group is No Matter What in North Atlanta. Thanks,
0: Andrew. Folks, I'm at an addict. Name is Douglas. Got clean March 12, 2000, in the southwestern PA. I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, here we go. It works how and why study for the anonymous podcast episode two on page eight. As we start, Andrew, do you be willing to read the first two paragraphs and share? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely.
9: As we start to look at the effects of our disease, we are sure to see that our lives have become unmanageable. We see it in all the things that are wrong with our lives. Again, our experiences are individual and vary widely from addict to addict. Some of us realize our lives have become unmanageable because we felt out of control emotionally or began to feel guilty about our drug use. Some of us have lost everything, our homes, our families, our jobs, and our self-respect. Some of us never learned how to function as human beings at all. Some of us have spent time in jails and institutions, and some of us have come very close to death. Whatever our individual circumstances, our lives have been governed by obsessive, compulsive, self-seeking behavior, and the end result has been unmanageability. Perhaps we arrived in NA without recognizing the problems we had for what they were. Because of our self-centeredness, we were often the last ones to realize that we were addicts. Many of us were persuaded by friends or family to begin attending NA meetings. Other members received even stronger encouragement from the courts no matter how it occurred our long standing illusions had to be shattered honesty had to replace denial before we could face the truth of our addiction um yeah I, you know i have a lot of identification there with the un, the unmanageability piece of this right um when i came to narcotics anonymous i was 19 years old um and uh, and i had a lot of yet's you know that i hadn't done um at that point um and so you know, I'm powerless over my addiction was a little bit hard for me to to handle, right? Because I, I always put other people, well, I haven't done this and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. But the unmanageability of my life was incredibly clear to see. I mean, you could talk to me for five minutes and be like, this this kid's a fucking mess, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, And, you know, it, after coming in here i realized that you know my life is has been governed by obsessive compulsi- compulsive compulsive self seeking behavior and the end result is my unmanageability right so coming in here and like working steps and uh, you know trying to like sort of squash some of that uh, that obsessive compulsive behavior right i get some freedom from my unmanageability um you know and, and long enough for me to you know recognize that like I have the disease of addiction, you know, that uh, if I don't put the first one in, then I at least don't have to live out this process with doing dope. So that's what I got on this.
0: Thanks for his comments, Andrew. What's up, Lisa?
6: Hey, so I'm super sorry if you guys can hear my big dog snoring. He thinks he's a lap dog and he loves the podcast. So if you can hear him, I apologize in advance. Um, But I think the thing that I really love about this little passage is Um, That line about honesty had to replace denial before we could face the truth of our addiction. Um, You know, I love that here, it it talks about the effects of our disease, but it doesn't say like really a whole lot about drugs, right? Um, And, you know, I think this is kind of building on what Paul said last week about like, thank God our predecessors didn't put the words drugs, like the word drugs in the steps. um, Because like my, like, dysfunction with honesty when I first came into the program was like, I thought that drugs were the problem, you know, and I thought like specific drugs were the problem, you know, like, oh I really messed up with that one. Better not do that one, but I'm going to try all these other ones. Like I tried to find ways to use successfully. And, you know, like before I share this experience real quick, I want to just like share, like, thank God for tradition three, which tells me that like the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop using It doesn't tell me that I have to show up clean. It doesn't even tell me that I have to keep coming back clean. Like that's a suggestion of the program. Um, And that is the program that I work today, but I tried everything. You know, I tried every program, every form of, you know, they call it harm reduction, you know, the clinic, the medication. Um, And I love in our readings where it talks about like medicine, religion, and psychiatry were not sufficient for us, right? It doesn't say that they don't work, but it just says that it isn't enough. And that lined up with my experience when I got here. And, you know, like I was taught that like that, that honesty piece, I couldn't work a first step and be honest with myself or a sponsor. Cause like higher power is not even a part of this yet. Right. In step one, um, I couldn't be honest with myself or a sponsor, as long as I had something in me, um, you know, and I, I couldn't accept like that I was powerless or that my life was unmanageable because like, I was still trying to find a way to use successfully. I hadn't acknowledged that, um, and honestly, it, it took me some pretty shitty experiences to get to that point. Um, but like the brutal honesty for me in this piece on step one is like, I'm the problem. Right. Uh, so with that, I'll pass. And
0: hey, thanks for those comments, Lisa. And here in a few paragraphs, we're going to read about like why that total abstinence piece, you know, why we build on that. You know why that's important for us so so thanks for those comments I want to add in Andrew when you were when you were making your comments I could relate man I got clean to 16 and it was the outward unmanageability was about the easiest fucking thing you could see in my life I couldn't make it out of 10th grade you know things were just things were a mess It wasn't until man relative like recently that I was down in New Orleans and and uh, and my friend Carl man we, we had this long talk about the inward unmanageability piece and like what that looks like and I'll be damn man if I didn't like the inward unmanageability piece when I'm when I look at that now in these most recent seasons of my recovery dude it's like I can I can spot that and it's like okay let's get into the recovery process now man like what do it they so so and I never really thought that that was really important I just felt you know I just figured like the inward unmanageable unmanageability piece is just something like all right you no, know, we're going to kind of navigate it as we but it's important it's important to address so I was I was thinking that we where you were making those comments what's up Christine
4: hey there um when it says that you know some of us we were felt so out of control emotionally or began to feel guilty about our drug use some of us have lost everything um and come close to death that was my experience um I overdosed and that was like the beginning of the end for me. And I wasn't trying to commit suicide or anything. I was just trying to get high. <laughs> I was just trying to get high. And I almost died because I couldn't get high enough. Um, and that was the powerlessness and the unmanageability was so friggin' evident for me from that point that um I was like, okay, I thought that. Everybody around me was saying, oh, the drugs, the drugs, you got to stop doing that. And I was thinking, if you lived in my head for 20 minutes, you'd be high too. Like the drugs were my only source of sanity. Like, dude. So um, it was really that long-standing illusions had to be shattered. That was what had to be shattered for me was the the drugs are the only thing saving me. And having to flip that into, oh my gosh, could it be the drugs? Um, so, I am very, very grateful for that. But if there's anybody else out there who thought, you know, they ended up overdosing, not trying to commit suicide, just because they were trying to get high, like that for me was my first sign of, okay, we've crossed the line, and and now we can't stop. So that's what I got on that. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Christine. What's up, Barb?
5: Hey Douglas, um, I didn't see the unmanageability in my life. And, and let me tell you the backdrop to show, to, tell, to show you how insane that was. It took me a couple of years to realize the unmanageability. And then when I really saw it, I was I was immobilized with fear, I remember, you know. And when I came, when I moved here, my son's dad was getting out of prison. I came from the streets from New Orleans. I had a little bit of recovery under my belt, but you know, I had all these um, behaviors like justify and rationalize. And it says some of us never learned how to function as human beings as as, at all. And um, we're governed, have been governed by obsessive compulsive self, self self seeking behavior. Um, I guess all these things, you know, that I I was still street barb and, and and I didn't see the unmanageability. I was still, I came in doing some of those behaviors still, you know, I, I was clean, but um, I, I still had some people and and I picked up again. I got 13 months and went back out again because of that, you know, but it took me a while to really um, see the unmanageability in my life. I would have told you I was a big, bad addict. You know, I wasn't alcoholic. I was a big, bad addict. But I didn't know what that entailed. So my recovery has been very slow, painstakingly slow for me to come to some of these realizations. Like how unmanageable. Now when I look back, it's ludicrous that I didn't see how unmanageable my life. I came, I was homeless. I was my, he was getting out of prison. I was pregnant and I was homeless. And that, and I didn't see it, my life was unmanageable, you know, but that's where I came from. That's how it had always been. You live day to day, you know. So, um, you know, thank God I stayed around to see this stuff, you know, and um, I think that's it for me. Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Barb. What's up, Eva?
1: Hey, Doug. Um, So I never went to jail. I never overdosed. I'm not going to say that I I don't have anything that (laughs) was bad. I mean, I used every day of my pregnancy, but I was never homeless. And I so I had all these things that it didn't look so bad on the outside cuz i was never, you know, i was never this and i was never that and i was never this so i could on the outside it didn't look so bad if you didn't know about those things like you didn't know i used every day in my pregnancy because you didn't know me right and so um what i love is this line right here whatever our individual circumstances right because narcotics anonymous knows that every addict looks a little bit different Sometimes there's addicts out there that, you know, still worked every single day, still held a job, still had a house, still had a car, still had their children. And like CPS never got my kids. Even though I used every day of my pregnancy, my mom stepped up and said, No, no, no. <laughs> and so my kids still stayed within my care because I stay, I moved in with my parents. So I had somebody clean in the house. You know what I mean? And um I had a lot of people to um, take care of me and, you know, I had, a, you know, anyway, so um, whatever our individual circumstance, our lives have been governed by obsessive, compulsive, self-seeking behavior and in the end result had been unmanageability. And I mean, I knew my life was unmanageable and I knew um that i was an addict but i didn't know how to do it different i didn't know how to do it different and um i and i didn't know about narcotics anonymous and so um it wasn't until i you know i went to treatment and they showed me um a different way like they showed me narcotics Anonymous, and i'll never forget my first meeting you know um well, they showed me Alcoholics Anonymous. And then, my anyway, long story short, I was led to 12 steps. And um, in a roundabout way, I found Narcotics Anonymous, you know, and um, I'll never be able to pay back what I got, right? Because, and I just love it that they know it says it right here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I overdosed, it doesn't matter if I was street barbed, it doesn't matter if I was a uh, CEO of a company and had all my, it looks like all my ducks were in a row, if I'm an addict and I have this obsessive compulsive self-seeking behavior, there's some unmanageability somewhere. And eventually I'm gonna lose everything somewhere or at least what's dear and near to me, right? So. That's what happened to me. Eventually, I lost everything that was near and dear to me, not to the state and I didn't get arrested, but I lost everything that was near and dear to me. And um, and I had to do something different, so thanks.
0: Thanks for his comments, Eva. Jane, could you read the next two?
3: Sure, Douglas. Many of us recall a moment of clarity. When we came face to face with our disease. All the lies, all the pretenses, all the rationalizations we had used to justify where we stood as a result of our drug use stopped working. Who and what we were became more clear. We could no longer avoid the truth. We have found that we cannot recover without the ability to be honest. Many of us came to NA after spending years practicing dishonesty. However, we can learn to be honest, and we must begin to try. Learning to be honest is an ongoing process. We are able to become progressively more honest as we work the steps and continue to stay clean. In the first step, we begin to practice the spiritual principle of honesty by admitting the truth about our drug use. Then we go on to admit the truth about our lives. We face what is not the way things could be or should be. It doesn't matter where we come from or how good or bad we think we've had it. When we finally turned to Narcotics Anonymous in the 12 steps, we began to find relief. I've really enjoyed uh, the last few minutes listening to people because it's one of the things that uh, I think is wonderful and awesome about Narcotics Anonymous is it doesn't matter where you came from or what rung of the ladder you were from we've got, we've got people here that have done the same thing. And, um, from the baddest of the bad to the best of the best, <laughs> you know, and I needed that, you know, when I, when I got here and it kind of comes along with those first couple of paragraphs, I'm always about 10 minutes behind everybody else and digesting shit. But anyway, where it talks about, uh, when I went to my first meeting and I was listening to people talk and, you know, the tattoos and 20 million years in prison and living on the streets eating garbage cans and stuff and i'm thinking gosh where's the door let me get out of here and uh, and then this lady caught my attention and she i don't remember whatever else she said but the one line that caught my attention was you don't ever have to feel that way again if you don't want to um and that's that out of control emotionally i could rationalize and justify a lot of things the behaviors and it was their fault and his fault and uh Uh, and the karma from past years, bad behaviors, all of that, but the emotions to to know that somebody clicked into my emotions, Um, and the, the denial was smashed when somebody said, I don't know remember what they said before or after, but they said, and there you were, that just smashed the whole thing, it doesn't matter where, what town I was in, because I did a lot of traveling, because it was always going to be better, and I did a lot of different marrying, because it he was going to be better than the last two, uh, and I, so I did a lot of traveling. I did a lot of marrying, and, and there were a few divorces along the way, and uh, and had quite a few husbands. Some of them were mine. Some of them weren't, and, but I was there, and there I was. Uh, it just smashed that whole thing. It just... Uh, made all the difference in the world. And I love the fact I've got it underlined, highlighted, and starred, where we practice ongoing process of honesty. Because maybe I could understand the whole drug, you know? Okay, can't do alcohol, can't do pot, can't do prescription drugs, maybe we should try something else. And then the denial was smashed and I said, okay, I can't do drugs. But the rest of my life is fine now. And it took me some times. And for this gal, more than one set of steps to start looking at the rest of my life and my emotions and my pride and my ego and how that showed up in different things. You know? So I'm so glad that they gave me that. They didn't say you had to be brutally, totally honest one time through the steps. I, I'd, have, I'd have really failed miserably. Maybe there's in a number two, I'm not sure. Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Jane. What's
7: up, Donna? Hey everybody, nice to be here. Um, uh, My moment of clarity was uh, slow coming. I uh, was introduced to 12 steps when I was 19 or 20. And uh, when I and I went into treatment when I was 24, and in that last year before I went into treatment, um, I started watching people that I was using with, and uh, including my family, and I started thinking that maybe they were sick instead of bad, and eventually, eventually, this thought just came to my head. And we've all had it, right? Could it be the drugs, right? I just thought I was broken and unsavable, right? And it went, you know, I didn't know that I had this determined personality, but literally (laughs) as soon as I thought, could it be the drugs? I started looking for a solution, you know? And uh, I did not stay clean that first year, but I kept coming back. And, cause that's what you guys told me to do. And, um, and then uh, the thing for me, and I, I'm guessing we're gonna get into this more is that I could admit that my life was unmanageable cause it was obvious. And I could admit that I was crazy because I had severe anxiety and PTSD and I disassociated and it's all this other kinds of crap. I was crazy, but I could not admit I was powerless. I could not admit I was powerless. And until I did, I kept using. The thing that was different was all my life, I had been a liar. It was never safe to tell the truth ever, ever, ever. You never told anybody what you were doing. You never told them about your thinking. You never told them about your feeling because it was dangerous in my world to do that. And I, didn't I never told the truth to anybody about anything and I came into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous and I got may not have told you guys everything but I never lied to you I told you exactly what I was doing I told you exactly what was up to and I was thinking about that today and I think that saved my life you know uh, that that clarity that maybe it could be the drugs and it was time to that I could maybe be safe enough to tell the truth. This part of the book, I mean, every color in the rainbow is highlighted here because it's all about the spirit, spiritual principles, starting with honesty and some humility. You know, like, like you know, maybe I wasn't the big bad ass, broken badass that I thought I was. Maybe I was a drug addict. And if I stopped using my life would get better. I'm telling you something too, just really quick. I used like that, that year, that first year around, I used like four or five times one night in a row. My life was better. My life was better because I wasn't using every day, right? But I couldn't stop. I couldn't not. I was powerless. I was powerless over my addiction. My life had become unmanageable. I couldn't do it by myself. That's enough for now, thanks.
2: Thanks for his comments, Donna. What's up, Lee? Hey, thanks, Doug. And thanks everybody for for your shares. Um, This page is all marked up for me. Uh, Jane read that first sentence. Many of us recall the moment of clarity when we came face to face with our disease. and, And I had touched on it last week. It was after staying up all night, doing this drug that I loved with this woman, I thought I love, but i didn't I didn't have a clue what love was back then. Um, it was based on sex. And if the sex was great, then it was true love. Um, and and when and when we were done and and all the dope was gone after about thirteen or fourteen hours, that's when that's when the clarity came. and it came, it didn't come subtle. It didn't come. Quietly, it came crashing into my core, into my into my gut, and it was like it was like nasty and vile and bitter and and I felt a feeling, and I always say in my shares, I wish I could give that to people because that's when I knew the dope could could no longer work, and I had been to treatment a couple of times in '85 and in '86, and what, treatment wasn't for me because I didn't have a drug problem. Um, I just thought if people would quit fucking with me and leave me alone with my dope, I would be fine. And um, underlined and highlighted and starred, Jane, it says, I could no longer avoid the truth. You know, I have been practicing dishonesty, like, like what Donna had just said my whole life. I came from a world of lies. Uh, too white to be black, too black to be white, fighting everybody for my lunch money. The dope game nothing but lies you know always i'm um, scarface which i never was i was the worst drug dealer in the history of dealing drugs um and and douglas you had you had alluded to us getting to this part and in the in this part i have the word must it says however we can learn to be honest and we must begin to try and i wish i wish we had more than three minutes because last night when i was sharing about my first sponsor at Two Days Clean, he was the guide into the 12-step process, but there was also another man, and they became like the two fathers I never had. My dad died when I was like going on 11. Uh, Jerry was the guide into the 12-step process, but this other guy, George, who's been a friend of mine for a day longer than I've been clean, which is another 30-minute story, was the guide into life and to finances. And, and without those guys, I would not. I would not be here. Um, but I had to come face to face with the truth about my drug use first. Then I had to admit my powerless powerlessness. I had to surrender, and then I had to take this journey. Thanks. Thanks for his comments, Lee. What's
8: up, Eric? Hey. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I'm I'm so privileged to be here, man. Like every time I come on here, it's like. Fire and uh, and I can relate, man. You know, no matter where anybody comes from, man, I can relate to the feelings, you know, and um, like my rationalizations, I can relate to the insanity, you know, right here. And like, yeah, my favorite one was like, if you felt like I felt, you'd use too, right? Like, I have to medicate this, you know. And uh, I remember I dated this girl, man, and she had said to me, Be careful what you say about yourself because what you say you are, you are, and so I was terrified to admit that I was an addict, you know, because I did not want to be, I wanted to find a way to use successfully, man. And um, my moment of clarity came in rehab, but for me, it was that I was responsible, you know, it wasn't um, anybody else's fault, you know, Um, it was that I was responsible to do something, you know, with that, you know, with that, like, so when I denied my responsibility, you know what I mean? Like I, of course, couldn't change anything, you know, I was uh, just blowing with the wind there, you know, just going along. And um, so like it was a it was a crushing responsibility when I realized that I was responsible. It was like I was 33 years old by the time I realized I was responsible for where I had ended up and all the decisions i had made in my life, you know, where it got me. But with that came like a spark of hope. You know, and, um, So I was really grateful for that. You know, and I didn't stay clean since that point either, man. That's why it talks about like uh, we can no longer avoid the truth. But that was like a moment. That was like a moment I had, you know, and like that sparked some work and stuff. But like, if I don't stay in this process, man, I could go back to the to hang out with the wrong people. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, "Man, you're weak. You got, you can't do this alone." That makes you weak, you know. And like to me, it just seems smarter. If I don't have to do it alone. Why would I? Why would I carry carry this unbearable burden by myself? To me, it seems like it makes sense. But, um, you know, if I hang out with enough of those people, man, that shit might start to seep into my head, man. I'll start to think, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I just grateful to be in this process. Thanks.
0: Well, thanks for those comments, Eric. I want to point out, too, when it talks about we face uh, what is not the way things could be or should be, I think that's really applicable to just about any area of my life and just about any season too, man. Sometimes I have a strange relationship with reality. I tell that to my sons all the time, man. They're, my oldest boy's about to be 16 and he has a very strange relationship with reality. He don't fucking back down from an argument, never wrong, you know, stubborn and shit. And and that's what I tell him. But, you know, but that's how, look, that, that that's how I get down too, you know? So when I think, when I look at things that like, what is, what what's going on right now? Now, how does that look? How does that feel? What's what's happening here? Like what it what it is, not what it could or should be. It allows me to not be the victim. It allows me to like not damn. You know what? I can justify my behavior because, you know, things should pan out this way. And uh, then I get to take responsibility for my actions. It doesn't feel good a lot of the times, but but it's needed. All right. Christine, can you read the next two, please?
4: Sure can. Okay. As we begin working the first step, it is important to ask ourselves some basic personal questions. Can I control my use of drugs? Am I willing to stop using? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to recover? Given a choice between finding a new way of life in NA and continuing in our addiction, recovery begins to appeal to us. We begin to let go of our reservations those parts of ourselves we won't surrender to the program. Most of us do have some reservations when we first get clean. Even so, we need to find ways of addressing them. Reservations can be anything, a belief that because we never had a problem with one particular drug, we can still use it. Placing a condition on our recovery, such as only staying clean as long as our expectations are met, a belief that we can still be involved with the people associated with our addiction. A belief that we can use again after a certain amount of time clean, a conscious or unconscious decision to work only certain steps. With the help of other recovering addicts, we can find ways to put our reservations behind us. The most important thing for us to know about reservations is that by keep keeping them, we are reserving a place in our program for relapse. Whew. I have a lot on this. I will try to keep it in three minutes. Um, Reservations were, I got clean in 1994 and anybody who got clean in late eighties, early nineties, man, I don't know about anybody else, but here it was everybody was sweating the HIV test. That was like my biggest reservation because um, I was like, if I test positive, then I'm out there's no way I can stay clean through that. It was testing positive and um, the disease had taken me to a place where I honestly thought that I would die if I didn't get high. Like, I don't recommend this for anyone, but this is just my story that, um, you know, from the moment of clarity that I had and a moment of pure honesty, I called my mom and said, I overdosed two weeks ago. I can't stop using, the drugs aren't working. If you don't help me, I'll be dead within three days because I can't stop using and I'm not getting high. <clears throat> and I have not used since that phone call, March 31st, 1994. Very fortunate to um, to have gotten this the first time around, but that that was, I was so desperate. So when I got here and, my first meeting out of treatment, I met a woman, Sharon and that had just tested positive with seven T cells. She was tested with full-blown AIDS, T cell count of seven. Thought she had like three months to live. I'm fresh out of seventeen days in rehab, and um, that was my biggest reservation was the HIV portion. And you know, I ended up asking her to be my sponsor. And she told me she thought I was crazy. Like, why would I even think that? Because, you know, she's like, I'm getting ready to fucking die here. And I said, well, if you found that out and you're not high, then you've got what I want. So I was really fortunate to meet that reservation head on, like right in the very beginning. Um, But I also carried my, I carried work song on my person until I picked up my 90 day chip. I had it with me everywhere I went, every meeting, it was on my body because I thought just in case I'm going to die, I can save myself. Like that's where the disease had me mentally. And when I picked up my 90-day tag, I threw it out the car window going home because I was like if I if it if I wasn't if I haven't felt it yet, apparently it's not going to happen. And um so I got to knock out those two big reservations in the very beginning. I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, and I know I've gone past my three minutes. So that was just, that was the big stuff for me. And um, and it was with the help of other recovering addicts, the people who walked before me, who were showing me that they were staying clean in the midst of the things that I thought would take me out. And um, that's all I got, thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Christine i to point out, I think, uh, I wonder if um, if we talk about reservations being the belief that we can still be involved with the people associated with our addiction. I don't know if I really hear like people, places and things talked about as much as I did, you know, maybe when I was getting clean. I think now it's kind of like this tolerance perspective, you know, is it, like, oh, yeah, you know, you can kick it, with, kick it with people who are still using, you know, live with people who are still using, you know, stuff like this. And in that context, kind of like what a few comments ago, what Eric was talking about, man, I always heard like, you know, the the haircut analogy, you know, you hang around with the barbershop, get a haircut. And we used to tag on right at the end, like whether you want to get one or not, you know, because then it comes, then it becomes a time of like, well, why wouldn't I, you know, if I'm not active in the recovery process, why ain't I getting high? You know, that's the, that's the question, man, you know, Uh, but Christine, thank you for those comments, man. Really, Eric, what's
8: happening? Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, you know, I had uh, some problems with reservations, man. I, you know, I like to overthink shit, so so I like go round and round with that stuff, man. And my my sponsor, uh, John was like, just you're just so wise, man. He's like, well, you got two choices when it comes to a reservation, you know. I'm like, I like choices, you know, I like choices. He said, you could either you can either surrender that shit or go do some more research, you know, and like, well, damn, I don't like those choices very much, but um. You know, that's the truth, man. I could surrender them at any time. I really like that story about throwing your shit out at ninety days, man. At any time I could surrender that shit. And the truth is I could really only surrender at a day at a time, too, for me, I've found. You know, some of those have taken a while to die off. And I'm not sure they're completely gone. I had a big one that I could use again at a certain amount of time clean. I don't know, it's gone today. I don't you know, I don't uh, think about it, but I don't know that it's it won't ever pop back up after five or ten years or whatever, so I'm not I'm not sure, but um, when it does, if it does, I can surrender that shit again, man. And, uh, you know, I got a lesson in powerlessness after I had 16 months clean, which was a long ass time for me. And, uh, and I used, man. And like, I thought I was going to fucking die and I still couldn't stop, you know? And um, so that was like a good lesson in powerlessness for me. And, uh, that's my comments. Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Eric. Lisa, can you read the next two, please?
6: Gladly. Um, Recovery begins when we start to apply the spiritual principles contained in the 12 steps of NA to all areas of our lives. We realize, however, that we cannot begin this process unless we stop using drugs. Total abstinence from all drugs is the only way we can begin to overcome our addiction. While abstinence is the beginning, our only hope for recovery is a profound emotional and spiritual change. Our experience shows that it is necessary for us to be willing to do anything it takes to obtain this precious gift of recovery. In recovery, we will be introduced to spiritual principles such as the surrender, honesty, and acceptance required for the first step. If we faithfully practice these principles, they will transform our perceptions and the way we live our lives. I see what you did there. Um, So coming back to that piece on like my own reservations, right, as everyone else is sharing, um, I remember my first sponsor asking me about this, like, what are your reservations? And I, like, when I got here, I thought like a reservation was something you called ahead to a restaurant to get, right? Like, and I didn't do that shit either. I wasn't eating at those kinds of restaurants when I got here. Um, I was in a whole other tax bracket, right? Um, But, you know, I love that this talks about, like, not just reading the literature and writing on the steps, because like I was raised in recovery in an era where like I was fortunate enough to have the step working guide um, and thank God for it. I was also taught like we don't just write about it, like writing about it and becoming aware of it makes us accountable for living it. And my first sponsor, um, you know, she would keep me in a step until I was able to tell her like examples of like how I was applying the step in my life and what that really looked like. And I had reservations about like, you know, um, what if one of my parents dies or like, what if, you know, um, I think you guys have heard me share before, like my mom is a using addict. She has been a using addict my whole life. I was born into addiction because of her use. Um, You know, like one of my reservations was always like, what if mom doesn't get clean? What if I get the call someday that, you know, my mother is dead? Um, Or, you know, what if this tragic thing happened? And I used to think like if I got divorced or if something, you know, and then I got married and divorced and I had a bunch of miscarriages clean. And, um, you know, one by one, my experience with reservations is like everything that I can use as an excuse kind of falls flat. If I'm applying the spiritual principles of the steps to them, right? Like they fall, they, they fall flat. I don't have a reason to use today because of narcotics anonymous. Um, but I did have reservations about, you know, like I will share specifically, I don't normally share on specific substances, but, um, you know, I had reservations about like alcohol, you know, like my drug of choice is a whole other ball game, right? Like maybe I can get a couple of years clean and have a beer, but like I joke around all the time, like I have a beer and forget I'm addicted to heroin, right? Eventually, like it's not enough anymore. You know, I break out in handcuffs and shit. Um, and I had a reservation too about weed you know, like, especially now, like with everything, you know, like, oh, it comes from the earth. It's a plant. It's this, it's that. And, you know, like my argument to that today is like my car sprang up from the earth. That doesn't mean I want to smoke it. Right. Like everything that man has created came from the earth. We took it from the dirt and made it with our hands. Right. Like that doesn't mean that I need to ingest it into my body. Um, But like my experience with that was that, you know, I could not, I, you know, I, I joke too, that like, when I was using in like an early, early recovery, the only thing I ever used in moderation was the truth. You know, I was very able to pick and choose um, when and where to be honest with other people and with myself Um, and like real quick, and then I'll pass. Um, You know, the last line here is if we faithfully practice these principles, it talks about surrender, honesty, and acceptance. If I faithfully practice those things in my actions, which means I stay in the basics, right, Lee, um, you know, if I, I have to be willing to do anything for my recovery, I have to, I was taught to chase my recovery. Like I chased my drug. If I would wait in the parking lot at Walmart for three hours for the dope man, I've got to be willing to do that for a meeting to open to. I've got to be willing to drive that distance for the newcomer. I've got to be willing to pick up the phone and call my sponsor 10 times a day, just like I called the plug. Um, you know, and that's what I was taught to do. And as long as I practice that, faithfully I have I, I can have the expectation that it will work because that's what my experience shows me um so with that I will pass
0: thanks Lisa for those of us who are fucking old the plug is the drug dealer and some old motherfuckers listening saying what does that mean what the... but Lisa look one of my favorite quotes from you all time is definitely about using the, the only thing in moderation was the truth love that you know it's really cool I want to talk about this, this first paragraph, you know, when it sum, sums up the basic text woven into the first 10 chapters consistently in every chapter you find complete abstinence, 12 step work. That's what recovery is complete abstinence and 12 step work. And it highlights it right here. At least I share the same and especially like with, you know, with with the marijuana cards and then. All this shit at gas stations now, you know, whatever the names are. Then it's not in there. Then it is in there and shit like this. A little while ago, a guy a sponsor started sponsoring someone who had, he was either doing something from the gas station or had a card or something like this. And in my first reaction is, man, fuck it, we ain't working the steps with any sponsoring them. Tell them get clean and then get busy with it. But I said, let me just call around and check with, check in with my people. Lee just hit me with, he goes, man, fuck. It's weed, Doug. It's fucking weed. It's that's it. That's the discussion. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, that fucking makes sense. You know, it's it's complete abstinence and twelve step work, man. That's the recovery process. You know, keep it, keep it like that, and keep moving. You know, what's up, Eva?
1: Hey, hey. So two lines. Our only um, while obstinance is the beginning. Our only hope for recovery is a profound emotional and spiritual change. Um. I believe in total and complete abstinence It has to happen because I cannot profoundly emotionally and spiritually change without that, without abstinence, because I cannot spiritually and emotionally change if I'm emotionally, uh, um, if I'm emotionally and spiritually changed from a substance. I can't have that change happen um to me and by me um second one our experience shows that it's necessary for us to be willing to do anything it anything is it our experience shows that it is necessary for us to be willing to do anything that was a paul move i had to repeat myself um it takes to to obtain this precious gift of recovery And it is a precious gift and I and and it doesn't that line doesn't change whether I have three days or 30 years. I have to be willing to do whatever it takes and let me tell you there have been times in my recovery throughout my recovery where I haven't been willing to do whatever it takes and it shows (laughs) and there's been times when I've been willing to do whatever it takes and it shows. Um when I'm not willing to do whatever it takes and I'm acting a fool, um, my life is just a shambles. It's, uh, And I mean, I have examples and you guys have heard them on here. I've had an affair in my marriage with 13 years clean, super cute, not. And um, my sponsor had me do a meeting a day for 90 days Because, and I had to be willing to do whatever it took to change that behavior. And I was, and I became willing to do whatever it took to to change that behavior, stop the behavior, become abstinent, right? From that drug, which was dude, right? Then I had to go to a meeting a day for 90 days. Then I had to do steps because that's what, right? The 12 steps in abstinence from the drug and that's what it was so um if you think it doesn't apply to you because you have some years clean you're wrong because it does because just because you get clean doesn't mean you get perfect i'm sorry it's true there's going to be things i mean Maybe you got perfect, but this chick, she didn't get perfect, she she didn't get perfect, food, sex, money, sleeping, books, shit, give it to me, I can overdo it, give me an example, <laughs> she'll try it, you know what I'm saying, so I have to be willing to do whatever it takes, first I have to abstain and then I have to have a, an emotional and spiritual change from that. And then I have to be willing to do whatever it takes, so I can obtain, so that I can obtain the precious gift of recovery. And then I have to faithfully practice the principles and tra- and transform the my perception. Right, and that can be in any area and every area of my life at any time in my recovery. Thanks.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks
2: for his comments, Eva. What's up, Lee? It's dope, Doug. Um, those who are addicted today are more fortunate. Like like when I got clean, we had some Xerox copies of, of some questions, Lisa, that someone had made and uh, that's how we will work the 12 steps. And, and I'm not using that as an excuse. Uh, it's just my experience. And, and it worked, it kept me abstinent. It kept me from getting high and I'm grateful to whoever wrote those questions because that's all we had um and I'm like Barb it was slowly over a period of time the practical application didn't kick right in either um somebody said something earlier and I was remembering like at nine months a bunch of us did this we did a job uh for, for for the younger members Doug that mean we hit a warehouse and uh the statutes of limitation run concurrent, so I'm not going to go into a great deal of... That's all we had back then was Xerox. That's absolutely correct. There wasn't 10,000 copy companies. Um, and then we went outside of this place where we had the meetings, and we sold all stuff to the stuff to the people, like Robin Hood. Like, oh, you only got 10 bucks here. Have this technique stereo system, you know? Whatever. The behavior, the drugs, <laughs> excuse me the drug stopped but the behavior took me a while before it caught up Um, and it was through through that abstinence I was able to find that beginning um the profound emotional and spiritual change took a long time and so if you're listening and you, and you, you know you're struggling with a particular behavior or if you keep going back and taking a shortcoming and uh Turning it into what we call in in the literature a long going, I think it says that somewhere. That's okay, just don't put no dope on top of it. Um, Oh my god, y'all killing me tonight. Um, I had a reservation, and it had to do with my mom. And this is irony, I guess. So I always thought when I got clean and something would happen to my mom, I was definitely getting high because she was my whole world growing up.
9: and in 96,
2: I had probably around eight years clean. She got breast cancer. And I was way up in Seattle. I was up in the P&W where, where you guys, a lot of three of you guys live. And so I couldn't just fly home every weekend. So I would call her every day, every day, every day. And she would be like, boss, stop worrying about me. And, and she beat that shit. Um, and then, I don't know. Uh, 14 years ago, she started getting dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff, and my, my siblings decided I should take care of her. Uh, I, did, I didn't even get a vote. I was like, how the fuck that happened? You know what I mean? When, why, wasn't, why wasn't I present for the vote? But, uh, but because of narcotics Anonymous, I was able to take care of her, literally, physically take care of her for about six of her last uh, 10 years. And and she lived to be a hundred. So she actually wore the reservation out. You know what I mean? I didn't have to ever like like deal with that reservation. Cause by the time she died, I was like cool with it. And and uh, and I know we're on step one, so I'm not gonna jump away to step nine, but you know, some amazing stuff happens when we when we allow the 12 steps to create a profile. I'm getting I'm getting the, the goosebumps when we allow the 12 steps to have a profound emotional and spiritual change in our life. I'm going to share the time. Thanks.
0: Thanks for his comments, Lee. So Donna.
7: Hey guys, I want to, I'm going to put a timer on here because I want to share two little stories. First one was uh, I, when I got clean, I was a young mother, I had two small children and, um, and one of the women I got clean with her daughter was killed in a car wreck. We just had, we were just brand new in recovery. And I watched her walk through that clean. And I thought there was no way anybody could stay clean through this kind of stuff. I had about just a little less than a year clean. My baby sister was in a terrible car wreck, you know, and my family showed up in my life and descended upon my house. And I thought there is no way anybody can stay clean through this, right? And, uh, uh, and I didn't have to do it alone. That was the big thing. I did not do it alone. My big reservation was my best friend and my family. And as long as I kept staying around them, I kept getting loaded. When I made my recovery the most important thing in my life and said, I just, I can't hang out, you know, I started staying clean, you know, and after a while, a lot of them followed me. The other thing I wanted to say really quick is um, I know there are probably people who are listening who are on Suboxone or, you know, got the cards or that kind of stuff. And I just want you guys to know you're welcome here. Everybody, you are absolutely welcome here. And you are a member when you say you are, you know, but and uh, people I hear people talking about, well, this stuff wasn't around when you got clean. It's like, well, methadone was Alcohol's always been here. Weeds always been here, you know, it's like in my world, there was no room for that, for substances. You know, I am pretty sure if I got clean today, the way I was 37 years ago, they would put me on some medication, right? I mean, there's like this automatic thing. And my, my little doctor, he started a treatment center out here. He says, go to a meeting. And he just didn't give it to me. I wanted it, right? But he just said no, right? And I just, but anyway, I just want people to know that you're welcome and and you're a member when you say you are. And, um, you know, get yourself a sponsor that's willing to work with you, you know, but tell them the truth about what's going on, you know. And uh, for me and mine, if you're you're using, we have to have a plan for quitting if I'm going to continue to sponsor you, because I am the kind of addict. I can't be around people who are acting out in addictive behaviors. I can't do it because it starts making me crazy. It's really becomes really unhealthy for me pretty darn quick. And, uh, and I just can't do it. And I don't want to, I have a really peaceful, balanced life. I don't want that insanity in my life. You know, if you're being crazy, you're, you're being crazy because you're getting clean. Right. And that's what we're working with. I don't want to deal with the disease. I want to work with recovery. So thanks. Hey, the timer thing worked good.
0: Thanks for those comments, Donna. What's
7: up, Barb?
5: Hey, Douglas. Um, I just want to say that um, I was taught complete abstinence in the 12 steps. And, and um, I, I 100% agree that people on, on other things need to be here, have a right to be here, and come here, and sit, and don't share. Cause you know, we don't want a lot of meetings say don't, we don't want to hear the disease. We want to hear recovery, you know, and I, I can't sponsor somebody. It's not my experience. I had somebody tell me one time that they went to their sponsor and asked them about that. And they said, um, do you know how to sponsor somebody on Suboxone? And she said, no, you know, and it's not my experience. I didn't do that. So I don't know how to sponsor somebody on that, but um, they certainly have a right to be here and I hope they come. And um, uh, reservations. I, I said that guy that I met here, getting out of prison. I said you can have everything but this man. Uh, he didn't get clean. I got high. You know that was that was a reservation. Went all the way through treatment, saying I'm a big bad addict. I can drink and I can smoke pot. Got out, did some more research. Guess what? I can't drink and I can't smoke pot. <laughs> drug is a drug is a drug. They all lead me, you know, back. And this where it says, while abstinence is the beginning, our only hope for recovery is a profound emotional and spiritual change. And um, April 3rd, 1979, my little boy was six years old and he died from lymphoma cancer. And I told God in the university hospital, I told God, fuck you. And I left and I never turned back. On um, December 28, 2019, my mom died in a horrific accident. Um, that I was that I was a part of. And I remember the first thing I did, uh, when the cops were there was called my sponsor. And I remember saying HP, I'm gonna need you to carry me, you know, and my and if that's not, you know, my first sponsor says same woman that walked through that door will get high again, if that's not that's not that same woman, you know, and I have millions of examples slowly over time of that. of how I'm not that same woman and, and how I've, I've lived that sentence. So thanks. Love you guys.
0: Love you too, Barb. Thanks for those comments. What's up, Andrew?
9: Um, you know, I've been kind of chewing on this reservations piece a little bit. Um, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, the the last first step that I did a, a few months ago, the reservation that I had in there was I'm not sure that I could make it if one of my if one of my kids died, you know. Um, and I think the really amazing thing, one of the really amazing things about this process is like I can remember when I had maybe 18 months clean, a woman in uh, my home group at the time, her little boy got killed in a drive by shooting Um from her older son, right, was involved in a bad dope deal. And I watched her come to meetings for months on end and say, fuck this, you know, like, I'm so fucking broken. And I can't put dope on it. And it just doesn't work, you know, but she didn't get high. Um, And I've seen people go through, you know, divorces and sick kids and and all kinds of stuff. and, And it, I guess it really reinforces to me that, like, you know, how great the forum of the meeting is to say when we're on fire, you know, when I'm on fire and I can say like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do, but I just don't want to get high right now. And so I have to put it out there to you guys. Um, And like, you know, that like by doing that, you know, we impact other people, right? Like I, I still have that reservation, you know, I like, I hope I don't hit it, but you know, I know that I've seen other members walk through it. You know, and I've heard stories of of this is what it looks like, you know, um to not use no matter what. So um, yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks, y'all.
0: And thanks for those comments, Andrew. And folks, thanks for listening. Um, action item this week. Find somebody who could benefit from this resource provided for them. Reach out to us too. We have the podcast number on the Facebook. All these folk are are on Facebook. Jump in and uh and be a part of pour into us, allow us to pour into you. Thank you for spending some time with us and walking on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so and reach out to us. There's a podcast number. There's a Facebook page. um, And you probably um, have contacted one of the squad already. Continue to do so. Pour into us. Allow us to be filled up and that way we can continue to pour into you. I love you, folk.